Welcome to Dare to be Seen, brought to you by Alyssa Vulpez Productions and EDN Publishing. Join our host, Alyssa DiNapoli, a.k.a. Alyssa Vulpez, author, artist coach, and singer-songwriter as she engages in down-to-earth, insightful, and inspiring conversations with female indie singer-songwriters, composers, and musicians. We shall discuss the lessons and personal stories of women who dare to be seen, scratching beneath the surface to explore challenging truths, forge deeper connections, and foster personal transformation. Get inspired, share your gifts, and if you enjoy the show, spread the word by subscribing and reviewing it. And now, let's get started. Before we meet our guest for today, I would like to invite you to go to tinyurl.com slash poddiscount and you will be able to get 20% off my online course, Dare to be Seen, where you will discover how to magnify your presence and command the stage in 10 easy steps so you can perform at your best in front of a larger audience. And now, here is our guest for today. Let's welcome to Dare to be Seen our guest, Kendra McKinley. Kendra is a singer-songwriter whose music bursts with vibrant sensuality and wit. Her lush blend of chamber pop, jazz and soul draws from a deep well of inspiration. Whether she's performing solo or dancing with her full band, Kendra's confident, honeyed voice indulges all who hear it. Take me out like dirty laundry with my guilt stains and wrinkle worries for some bleach into my quarries. My my soul was was calling to to relocate to to be more immersed in nature so I could tap into my creativity more deeply, um, maybe find community in a, in a deeper way. And, and, you know, having those dreams and really listening to them. And I think um, reconsidering this event is like an invitation for being quiet and finding silence and starting to get more clear about, you know, what what are any of us doing? We are always with ourselves, but because of our well-constructed egos and the noisiness of our egos we can have like such a clouded sense of our lived experience because we're we're experiencing it through the prism of all these judgments and attachments and pain and confusion and expectation thinking about yourself as an as a garment where 
if it's worn and used and stained, you don't just toss it. You can tend to it. Dirty laundry coming clean. Dirty laundry coming clean. Let's welcome to the show Kendra McKinley. I am super excited that Kendra is with us tonight because I'm a big fan. The first time I saw her video, Dirty Laundry, that we will discuss later, I was in love immediately and thought, I've got to have this girl on the podcast. So first of all, Kendra, uh, you said um, something that was quite interesting. And you say that you fall asleep almost uh, Anytime, uh, not like an archaeoleptic, but uh, you can fall asleep easily. So, what's uh, the most unusual place you've fallen asleep, Kendra? I think an unusual place that I've fallen asleep was on a flight of stairs during um, a rehearsal for a play that I was in when I was in high school. And I just remember kind of waking up from the stairs and thinking, wow, this is really uncomfortable. But I still was able to fall asleep. Or I think another experience was um, at a music festival in Santa Cruz called the Do It Ourselves Festival. And my friends of the band Rainbow Girls were playing a late night set. And so, you know, maybe it's not so unusual to fall asleep late at night. But I remember that it was this packed room and I was kind of like had my head in my friend's lap and I fell asleep during their set and I didn't hear them give me this very kind shout out about me being a musician and band leader that they admired. And I just slept through this, this shout out. And then when I woke up, I kind of belligerently like shouted a request for a song that they'd already played. So I just was, I guess, in my own dream world, quite literally. <laughs> That is so funny. But would you say you you're quite a relaxed person? Is that why you, it's so easy for you to fall asleep? I don't I don't really know. I I I think that I'm learning to be more relaxed, but the amount that I sleep has been pretty consistent through my life. I think that um I think I have a very active mind and so I can tire myself out. And then, you know, once I'm horizontal, just like, you know, the opportunity to kind of venture off into a dream realm and rest sound is like pretty enticing. So the transition is usually pretty easy, but I don't, I don't know if it necessarily reflects how relaxed I am as a person. I'm probably more relaxed than a lot of people, but I'm probably not as relaxed as some people. So somewhere on the spectrum. Right. And um, so you're talking about dreams and do you, do you remember your dreams? Do you, I know some people use their dreams as inspirations and suddenly I, I just had this question in my head of, um, are you one of those people that uses dreams as inspiration? Hmm. Well, I definitely do dream pretty vividly, especially as of late. Um, and I've had times in my life where I've kept a dream journal. I haven't necessarily written songs based off of dreams um i've i've made drawings based off of dreams i've received some pretty good advice through dreams 
um, through a number of different characters and mutations of characters. And I, I, I did have one experience of having a dream about a song and then in this sort of like barely awake headspace reached for my phone to to make a voice memo of this melody that seemed very important and very profound and my sleepy state made a recording of it and when I listened back to the recording it really it kind of just sounded like a person that was like buried underground it was very like it was hardly a melody and hardly a voice because I think I was still asleep so I just you know titled that that recording needed to save this because it just seems so funny to me wow I you know for me dreams are fascinating I've always been a, a big part of my life and I think that when you are dreaming you said that you you've had messages from dreams and I think you know they're messages from our subconscious parts of ourselves that maybe you were not so aware of during the day and we're not paying attention to but I believe that if we ask questions before going to sleep, we actually sometimes can get the answers uh, while we'll sleep. Has that ever happened to you? I, I, I can totally agree with that. I mean, I, I really believe in dreams as messages, and I think it's pretty profound and fascinating the way that your mind can conjure up imagery and make connections that can tell stories that allow you to discover a truth that maybe is not so easy to see or accept in your waking life. And yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting too, just being able to dissect, like, you know, who are the people that show up? And like, if, if everyone in your dream is actually some iteration of you, then, you know, what is your relationship to that person? How have you related to them in the past? What have they taught you? And how is their arrival in this dream moment serving, like, you know, a larger message? And then I think also it's just, it can be a really fascinating way of cataloging the day. You know, it's like some element of a conversation that happened in that previous day shows up with you know like maybe maybe a physical object that you also saw that day just like your brain cataloging all of this information that it was exposed to so I'm into it I think I think that it's um a very powerful tool I I mean I think maybe that's that's why I'm so enamored of sleep too is that it's this opportunity to actually tend to every system of your physical body as well as have a deep check-in with yourself about what's really going on. And I mean, have a, have a dream. Like you, like you get to watch this, this sometimes very vivid, exciting, revelatory film that exists very intimately inside of your own being. Yes. And have you ever had a transformative dream um, that has somehow changed, I wouldn't say, you know, the course of your life, but it's, has somehow changed you? You know, I have I've definitely have had dreams like that that have mm -hmm. really changed me. Um, but I wonder if other people also have experienced this. 
Sure. I, I, do, I can't think of like a single dream that was maybe life changing, but I can think of how many dreams or like recurring dreams just kind of encouraged me to align more deeply with myself. I mean, something that comes to mind is, you know, living in the Bay Area for many years and always having these dreams about, you know, being in the forest, like being in a wooden house, like living in like this more quiet existence. And, you know, when I would wake up from those dreams, it was like this reminder of the fact that I didn't really feel like I was in the right geographic location that, you know, my, my soul was, was calling to, to relocate, to, to be more immersed in nature so I could tap into my creativity more deeply, um, maybe find community in a, in a deeper way. And, and, you know, having those dreams and really listening to them informed a lot of my decisions, you know, it's like how I would spend my time where, where I chose to live. I mean, you know, I'm speaking to you now from a house in the woods and it feels like so much more aligned. So I don't know, maybe, maybe dreams are like, you know, minuscule revelations and I've still yet to have that big bang, but I'm ready. <laughs> you also said you want to talk about silence. And I think in a way that this is related because when we're in a dream, we are away from the distractions of the day. But another way to get in touch with our deeper self can also be through silence through reflection, through meditation. So what's your relationship with silence? In March, when when COVID really seemed to burst and, and the shelter-in-place order happened, I was actually in Nashville recording new music. So at the culmination of this session, I was, you know, left to make the choice of where to go to wait this thing out, wait this COVID thing out. And I moved to Grass Valley with my boyfriend in this in this house in the woods and was suddenly kind of, I mean, I kind of think of like it as being planted in like a meditation retreat because it was in a rural area. There weren't other people. It was kind of like this very sudden shift of life focus where I was really immersed in this creative output, had this sense of momentum about collaborating with this producer, Gina Johnson. And then suddenly, you know, I was, I was in the woods and I was far from friends and family. I was literally, you know, sleeping outside most nights just because of limited space and had just these very long reflective days where I spent most of my time alone because there wasn't really the option of pursuing the distractions that I had in the past, you know, living in a city, going out, seeing people, buying things, observing things, just kind of being magnetically pulled towards activity. It's like suddenly there was this, there was this challenge to be with myself um, in a different way. And I think that that's really um, a valuable challenge for anyone. And, 
And I think that I'm starting to understand now how much I needed that sort of shock into a quieter quality of self-reflection. I mean, I started meditating. I was able to, I think, really recalibrate after what had been, I guess, six years of hustling as a musician, just trying to figure out how what I was doing you know I kind of had this like nebulous idea of making it as a musician but I I couldn't really define that it was like a it was kind of like a hollow yet grandiose vision and I was playing constantly and teaching constantly just to make ends meet but there was this kind of busyness to my life and to my mental state and even my creative state that I think rendered me just totally exhausted and disconnected in a lot of ways. So suddenly, you know, being in this place where, you know, the place where I am right now, where there's this, this call to simplify and reflect and accept that because this pandemic is happening and because, you know, the, the busy world I had been operating in and that my peers had been operating in has been disrupted. It's, there's, you know, you have to kind of accept that it is just happening. And and I think um, reconsidering this event is like an invitation for being quiet and finding silence and starting to get more clear about, you know, what what are any of us doing? What are any of us working towards? I mean... I feel very fortunate to have been forced into that headspace, you know, forced, quote unquote, but to have found myself in in a situation where going inward is kind of the only option. And, and it's certainly been challenging because going inward can be really uncomfortable, but I also feel like it's, it's work that I wouldn't have met with as much intention if I was to proceed with the kind of busy hustle that had become the predominant flavor of everyday life. I mean, it's made a huge difference in how I create. I'm I'm actually practicing my instruments and doing it slowly and listening to new music and you know, one of the reasons why I mentioned improvisation was because like that has also been a big theme of this chapter. Um, I was always really afraid of improvisation and my, my musical identity as a songwriter was pretty informed by being in a room alone with the door closed and then polishing an idea of some narrative song until I believed it was ready to be presented and then the whole like vulnerability of the process was never revealed and thus my my instrument abilities were kind of limited to how I sculpted a song so I never had that experience of maybe being in in a like a noisy junior high garage band which I think is like such fertile um it's yeah so it's a really fertile way to 
get your ideas out and, and, and react to other players. And I feel very fortunate that, you know, my boyfriend that I'm living with is very much immersed in improvisation and has been, you know, a listener of free jazz for a long time. And he's definitely been a conduit of, of helping me kind of like access the, the more open communicator within my musical output. And suddenly like improvised music, live music, and actually treating it as this living thing and this opportunity for exchange and something to be shared seems like maybe like what was missing from my musical experiences, but also just seemed to have a lot of overlap with other things that have been revealed as very important to me is just, you know, the shared experience and community and with improvising in music or like in any in any medium, it really is about that give and take. It's like you have to show up with conviction, but also be receptive to what's happening. And I really like that dynamic. I like that intersecting point of really being present with something that is being created to be shared. Yes. When you are talking about silence, you really are talking about facing ourselves and our demons. And in a way, it is covered as being a forced retreat into our inner selves. And with that comes a bit of fear sometimes. You know, if we haven't spent a lot of time with ourselves, I think a lot of people may be scared that, oh, what if uh, there's nothing there? You know, but there's usually a lot there. Um, or other people may be scared that, oh, I might find something I don't like. Um, but when we are forced and we don't have a choice, then we do need to slow down. And it sounds like that's exactly what you have done. And you have discovered new things, such as, yes, improvisation, which I agree is is a lot of, very different from just writing a song on your own. It's more fresh. It's like rediscovering, like you said, the vulnerability of something that is constantly changing. And you can't be perfect when you are uh, improvising. You might make a mistake, you know, but that doesn't matter. And it is a living thing, you know, like you said. And what uh, also stri um, strikes me what is what you were talking about at the beginning when you said, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure what I was trying to do. I, I was trying to make it. I had this vague idea. And I wonder, has that become more clear to you? in terms of, you know, what what is making it? What is success to you now? Has that changed? I think I think it's still an answer that's revealing itself. I know that I feel the most fulfilled when there's a confluence of collaboration and movement and color and an immersion in nature like I, I think that that's been another thing that's that's become very clear is that 
how, how much I enjoy creating outside, which like, you know, kind of feels like a convenient thing given that we're not supposed to congregate in indoor spaces, but just thinking about the natural world or the environment as something that can be an extension of an artistic vision that that there's a relationship between what's being created in the space that it's being created in and i think also just with grappling with the state of the natural world and with climate change i feel more of a sense of responsibility to to create in a way that's respectful and cognizant of the earth and i don't necessarily have have an answer for for what that is per se nor a map of how i want to do that but in this quieter reflective space i do feel like there's like a constellation of ideas that that are revealing themselves and i'm exploring how they're intersecting but i th i think also just so much about the way that music is experienced and perceived in American culture has kind of um what's the word i don't know i'm 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 kind of not as convinced i think that it's fascinating how how you're either deified as a musician or you live in the gutter there's no sort of middle ground where making musical contributions to society are recognized as contributions to like the health of our people. And I think that that in combination with the fact that we, we really glorify a sense of individuality in, in music you know, with the with the archetype of the front person who is good looking and charismatic and deified, demanding all this attention. And I mean, I'm making a generalization. It depends on who that person is. Sometimes that person can be very generous and, and conscientious of making a connection with the audience. But I but I am starting to notice that with that archetype, there is this sort of implied separation between the audience and the people that are creating. And then the more that I'm listening to music from other cultures, the more that I'm noticing that, you know, the band is, the band functions by all of these contributions from many people involved. The quality of the singing is call and response or in chorus. Like, you know, it's, there's this palpable sense that music is, supposed to be shared it's for people and not just a commodity to consume and reinforce a sense that individual success is what we're striving for so when i when i think about you know what it will be like to return to the world where community gathering is a possibility i i really i want what I create to be reflective of community. And I, and I think too, 
spending so many years as um as like a hustling solo singer songwriter it's a very lonesome pursuit because you know when i when i refer to this like hollow nebulous sense of what making it is it was limited to you know me and what i wanted and I think what I'm realizing is more important is that sense of community, that sense of connectivity. And I think that that's what makes music and art powerful is how it's shared. And yeah, I couldn't agree more. I was just going to say exactly the same thing in terms of how music is commodified. And when it's commodified, it's it's a product. Um, it's it's then there's a lot of pressure uh, to sell it. And, you know, in order to sell it, you have to have a persona, you have to have some kind of clear brand, and it all becomes a bit yuck, you know, at least from the, my point of view. And what you're talking about is, is more as a community activity, that uh, the entire community is actually sharing rather than one person is more important than everyone else. That person is special, they can do it, no one else can do it. And it's quite alienating for the audience as well, I think. You know, it's like living through the performer what you're too afraid to express yourself. But actually, um, what came to mind was choirs and dances, you know, where we are all participating together and that can lift us up. Yeah, I think too, I had I had an interesting experience where, I mean, 2000. 20 is a funny year to be anything or in any uh, profession. But, you know, in my experience of being an independent musician this year, it felt really gratifying to still be able to record music and to still be able to make a music video. And so with all this time, I put a lot of um, energy and effort into a release campaign for this music video for Dirty Laundry. And a few days before... I was set to launch the video after, you know, a number of posts about it coming and polished videos, et cetera, and so forth. My Instagram account was hacked and I actually still don't have access to it more than two months later. But it was just kind of like this interesting moment of like having that sense of importance about promotion be totally punctured. It's just, you know, it's like, and I was really upset. I was like, oh, I was working so hard. I scheduled these posts. I wanted people to see it. And I mean, the thing is, people did still see it. I was still able to share it. But it was, I don't know, I kind of think of it as a blessing in disguise. Because then suddenly Instagram wasn't the central piece of the music. It was like, no, I, I made a thing that I'm excited to share. And I'm going to put it out into the world. And I hope that you like it. And I'm not going to hang out on Instagram waiting for it to be congratulated you know it's like <laughs> and I mean it's interesting too it's like now that I'm not on Instagram right now because I, I still can't log in I'm actually playing way more music I'm actually reading a lot more I meditate more it's like there's it was kind of like this really pleasant reminder that Instagram isn't music social media is not the art that we're making but it's a tool for selling it and, you know, therefore ourselves. And um, yes, there are people that use it in very 
um, effective, skillful ways. But on a personal level, I think that it was one of the best things that could happen to me is to have it like taken away, especially in this moment that I believed was so important, you know? Wow. <laughs> that's that's quite something. You know, I I myself have got a very conflictual relationship with social media. I hate it. And yet I feel like I have to make an effort and, and post. And I wish that it didn't exist and I didn't have to do it because, uh, you know, I don't enjoy doing that. And at the same time, I feel compelled to do it. And it's like, at this, I'm beginning to really see what a negative influence it can have. So I've actually, uh, have a, a policy that I do not uh, scroll. I do not use Facebook for my social life. I just use it to connect, you know, to people in my group, uh, and that's it. You know, and uh, and to post my um, episodes of the podcast. But you know, I'm not going to spend my free time looking at how many likes and how many views there are because it's very you know that's basically the ego and 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 you get hooked on that and then you know if you've got loads of likes you may feel wonderful but if you don't get what you think you are worth well it you can get depressed so it's a double-edged sword totally yeah and it's and yeah what you're what you're speaking to I've I've heard from so many people who are musicians and non-musicians it's just that sort of just that relationship with it where it it could be a tool but it ends up being a crutch this this is not you know like me like making a making a statement for everyone to go out and delete their instagrams but it's but it i think more than anything it was just it was really powerful for me to just like remember that it's not that important i guess <laughs> It's not you. You are out here. Yeah, I don't know. Or it's just like Instagram has nothing to do with the song and Instagram had nothing to do with the with the feeling of fulfillment from collaborating with that team and it's not music. Yeah. So tell me more about this video because it is a, a very delightful video and um, and I'm very curious about how it came about, the team that you are mentioning, how did you meet them, how did the idea actually um, develop? Sure, so it was, um, it was a small, intimate team, um, the director, Stacey Degagne, and director and uh, camera director, excuse me, director of cinematography, Sarah Jaffe, were friends of mine that I had collaborated with on a previous music video for a song of mine called Face to Face. And after the experience of collaborating with them through that video, I I always dreamed of doing it again. Just the 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 ease of collaboration, the the sense of femininity the playfulness, the use of color, I felt like it was quirky and fun and emotional. And I feel like I was able to discover more about my artistic self or even the songs that I wrote through these visual interpretations. So I was always like very uh, determined to work with them again. And a couple months ago, I 
contacted Stacy and just said, hey, you know, it's like, I don't know about you, but I'm not really doing anything right now. And I would love to make another video with you. I've just got this new batch of songs from a session that I did in Nashville. And fortunately, she was available. So I sent her the song Dirty Laundry and I sent her my concept for it, which was basically you know, I'm singing slash dancing in front of a clothesline and there are match cuts so that, you know, I'm doing consistent choreography, but the items on the clothesline change with rhythmic edits. So I made like this little mock-up video and she was into the idea and then proceeded to just make this very detailed, elaborate and vivid storyboard and color palette which is also what she did for the face-to-face video but she basically just took my idea and augmented it into this very colorful and playful extension of my vision and you know she would say like I really think we should use blue foam I think that you should wear these gloves and yeah it was it was again this instance of making new discoveries as a consequence of the collaboration and that feeling of expanse when you know like a like a song like that song it exists within me as this very personal thing it has a very specific identity and then hearing how it can be transformed and augmented through another creative mind it's I mean it's just it's always so rewarding I think I I think that that's what we should all be doing with what we make is like seeking those opportunities for discovery by uniting minds. And um, what was what was wild about making that video, though, is that the dates that we had scheduled to do this backyard, socially distanced, like small crew um, video shoot happened right as the California wildfires were happening. So I was driving from Grass Valley to San Francisco, you know, through just like an apocalyptic atmosphere. I couldn't drive all the way on the 80 because of the fires in Vacaville. And um, yeah, I just remember that sense of kind of existential dread. Like, why am I making a music video when California is burning? You know, it's like there's something that just felt so frivolous about wearing, like playing, basically playing dress up while the state was burning. You know, it's just like it felt, something felt really dissonant about that. And it's also just, you know, the stress of driving into it. And it goes from being a harrowing headline that you read on the internet to being, like a very real and grim natural disaster. And miraculously, Stacy's house was in a part of San Francisco that had yet to be affected by the smoke. So we were all able to safely be outside and have clear blue skies. So it was like, I mean, it's a, it's kind of a miracle that it happened, especially when a week later, the San Francisco sky turned orange and like the whole scene was rendered biblical. It's like the timing worked in our favor. 
and it was also for me this this reminder of just how I guess healing collaboration is and how healing being creative was like getting to focus on color and movement and collaborating with this women both with these women both of whom are were new mothers um there was just like this this energy of again femininity and I think also just like that the video is just kind of unapologetically joyful, <laughs> you know, it's like the outfits are very playful. Like the song is playful. Like the movement is playful. I think it was like, it was, um, it was, it was like a necessary compliment to just like the feeling of dread of you know the fact that the world was burning it had already been a very stressful year and the two don't necessarily cancel each other out but it was kind of this moment of reckoning of like okay climate change is real and people are suffering tremendously through this but I don't think that not creating is necessarily the antidote I don't and nor do I think that ignoring the reality of you know California being on fire for the sake of finishing a creative project is the answer either I think it was more just like seeing that they could exist simultaneously that multiple things could be true and just like I don't know maybe even just as I'm not quite sure how to put it it's like I think that being creative and working with other people is like necessary to my own survival and I believe that that's true of other people as well yes and also I think sometimes when we're faced with death when we're faced with the darkness we have this urge to create something light to rebalance things you know it's like life and death go together hand in hand um and it's not about not having respect for for what's happening. It's actually almost like an antidote, if that makes any sense. I think that that being confronted with mortality, you know, in the in the context of the pandemic, in the context of these fires and all natural disasters, or also just you know like the fundamental fact that we all will die, and I, I mean I, I have in been thinking a lot more about death reading more about it especially like as I've been exploring meditation a little bit more and yeah I don't I don't know it's like there is something that that feels freeing about embracing the inevitability and choosing to be joyful and you know I'm I'm saying that as like a person that is like really only just starting to think about this subject and and I do think that the more that I've being reminded of our own mortality and you know the infinite examples of it in our everyday life does present that that choice is like do you proceed with fear or do you proceed with joy because Either way, you will die. Death is real. Death is everywhere. 
Um, and it is an essential, ubiquitous ingredient in life. Well, in our society, you know, death is always uh, tends to be a taboo subject. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to see it. We put old people in homes uh, or places where they can die on their own over there, you know. And actually, I think you're really onto something there. Uh, I mean, the philosopher Schopenhauer used to say that we need to be aware of death uh, every day because when we are, we are more able to live life more fully so it's not to get depressed and think oh no i'm going to die but rather to to think yes i'm going to die so i better live this life fully i better not be asleep and i better not be a robot you know doing everything in uh, automatic mode so perhaps that's what um, you are alluding to and just going back to your song um which was so very joyful and so very feminine. I've got a couple of questions about that. So the first question is just simply, where did the song actually come from? Where did the inspiration for it come from? That's the first question. And the second question is to do with your team. Um, so with the fact that you had an all-female team, and I wonder if in the past you've had uh, experience with an all-male team and if you've noticed any differences. <laughs> All right, let's go. <laughs> um, so the inspiration for Dirty Laundry, um, I mean, the whole song, it's writing, recording, and video and ultimately release all happened within 2020. So uh, it was in January of 2020. I was house sitting for a friend in Bolinas, so living on a farm. Uh, in Bolinas, and I was reading the book, The Untethered Soul, um, like you do when you're on a salty beach retreat. And I, I was kind of fascinated by this sense of um, we are always with ourselves, but because of our well-constructed egos and the noisiness of our egos we can get so cloud we can have like such a clouded sense of our lived experience because we're we're experiencing it through the prism of all these judgments and attachments and pain and confusion and expectation and I loved how the book was talking about, you know, like your ego is like essentially like this noisy roommate that is chattering incessantly in your mind. And then the actual you that has been with you the entire time and will be with you the entire time is, is in there. And so paying attention to that piece and sort of like combing through all of that noise to return to that truer version of yourself. And so I was thinking about that and it sort of man manifested as this playful metaphor about laundry, like, you know, thinking about yourself as an, as a garment where 
if it's worn and used and stained, you don't just toss it. You can tend to it with love and intention and soapy water. You can you can sew a hole. You can you can put it into your drawer for um to wait until it the weather is more appropriate to put it on. And yeah, it just like it felt like a playful a uh, metaphorical interpretation of that sense of not abandoning yourself just because of feeling uncomfortable. And I feel like that was kind of like a reckoning that I was doing with myself is just kind of like inching more towards this sense of, yeah, self-acceptance, I suppose. So I wrote that song and also just kind of challenged myself. I, I think I like set a timer. I was like, okay, I'm going to like write this song in an hour as um an exercise and abandoning preciousness, especially about lyrics. Because, you know, I started to write, it was like, oh, this is silly song about laundry and singing about soapy water. No one says soapy in a song, you know, it's like, um, but when I got through to the end, I was like, well, I think this song is actually pretty pleasant and I like it and okay, now it's done. Now it's time to move on. And, and yeah, I think that there was like something gratifying and like, you know, kind of freeing a little bit to just have that permission. Like, I'm just gonna, just gonna write those lighthearted lyrics about laundry, whatever. <laughs> I'm just going to write this song, whatever. Um, and so then fast forward to working with this team. I mean, working with Stacy and Sarah, and actually I, th there was um, a man named Andy Hoffman present. He was the gaffer and, and um, he's just a lovely person that, that I'd been friends with for a few years. And he had great suggestions, was very supportive very fun, good-humored person. So it was the four of us as this team. But um, yeah, working working with ladies. I mean, it's it's. I'm 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 reluctant to make generalizations because I have wonderful relationships with with folks all over the gender spectrum. But specifically working in a team with Stacy and Sarah leading, it's just so easy. There's so much consideration. There's not this sense of needing to prove anything. It's like there's there's a very obvious sense that everyone wants to be there. Everyone just kind of wants to make this pretty pleasant thing pretty and pleasant thing. They want the team to thrive. They respect their teammates. They're curious about their input. So there's this there's this sense of ease where if someone has an idea, they present it graciously. It's received. It's either accepted or questioned and yeah, just this very um, considerate and gracious sense of collaborating, like a reverence for the team. And it's also just fun to work with ladies because, you know, like w when when we're doing playful stuff like wardrobe, I, there's just like, there's like a lighthearted 
femininity that just it it like kind of makes me feel like I'm at a slumber party. You know, it's like the feeling of just being with friends. It's like you're not we're not like working. We're not like making important things. It's like everyone wants to be there. It's fun. It's fun to make a music video with your friends. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So um I mean also like I said, they were they're new mothers too. And just to witness the superpowers of these 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 young women who are raising their little ones with with the same you know quality of presence and generosity and sensitivity to be alternating between directing a music video and breastfeeding you know it's just like i i just was so um awestruck by by the magnitude of women the ability to multitask and still be so gracious and humble and yeah yeah absolutely it was medicinal it was a great experience I hope to work with them on a hundred more music videos it would be it would be such a gift and then on the contrary um, I have had lots of experiences of being the only woman in a group of men. And it's been a full spectrum of things. I will say that women tend to be more considerate of others. They're more curious about the ideas and contributions of the rest of the team they listen more they complain less <laughs> um there's a there's a sense of nurturance too it's like there's there's um there's care to how they contribute to the team because of an acute sensitivity to how the emotional atmosphere or just the morale, I should say the morale of the team yields more fulfilling projects. It's way more fun if you feel like you're contributions are welcomed with openness and curiosity and respect and I think that that image of two young mothers who are directing and operating cameras is like the perfect encapsulation of that I mean it's like they're literally feeding their children with their bodies just giving and able to meet the collaborative dynamic with a poise that is I haven't observed it as much in men honestly some I mean and I don't want to make a generalization about men I do not want to belittle them because there's so many of them and so many different ones but 
you know, it's it's no secret that the patriarchy is is designed to make men feel like they're not supposed to lead with emotionality, that their that their um, presence is supposed to be one of assertiveness and control and stoicism. And I think that if you're leading with that, you can't really be a part of a team because you're consciously or unconsciously evaluating how you are taking up space as an individual in that team. And, you know, I've, I had an experience recording the previous year where I felt that there was no sense of collaboration within the team because of this very palpably cerebral sense of everyone wanting to achieve some sense of grandeur that really was more a reflection of what their personal version of grandeur was rather than collaborating. And again, I don't I don't want to be little men or say that they are not capable of that because I have also experienced tremendous empathy and consideration from men. But I mean, magic happens when ladies are just left to, <laughs> to run the show. Yes. I, I can relate to that and, and, and I do think it is a matter of cultural um, influence, uh, possibly more than genetics. Of course, you know, I'm not an expert in that, but uh, it makes sense that if you are educated in a certain way and told that, you know, your role in society is to take care of others or to... Um, show everybody how wonderful you are, how great you are, uh, um, then that's going to influence how you behave, for sure. And of course, some men and some women might have different, uh, and some non-binary non people uh, might have different um, proclivities, but uh, the expectations of the gender roles is going to have an influence in how they behave, for sure. So, um... We have come to uh, the point of this interview, although I'd love to talk to you forever, to be honest, but uh, um, that we should uh, have you play a song and you're going to uh, play for us a song called Bloom. Uh, but before we do, uh, can you tell us a bit about that song? Sure. Um, so Bloom is a song that I recorded in Nashville earlier this year and not one that I've played that much. And it for me, it's very much about, you know, making, making space for that silence, encouraging your ego to settle so that something deeper can be accessed. Other than that, I, I'm, I'm usually reluctant to, to say what a song is about, per se, because I think it's, it's nice to interpret, but hopefully that's enough of a kernel. Okay, cool. All right, whenever you're ready. Oh. 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 
So it's been really, really lovely to talk to you today, Kendra. And if listeners want to hear more from you, the uh, website and information about uh, Kendra is going to be on the show notes. So just head on over to theretobeseenpodcast.com and you'll find everything you need there. So once again, thank you so much for being with us and sharing so much of your soul, your inspiration. I really could feel connected to you while you were speaking and in this deeper way it doesn't happen every day so thank you for doing yeah, that thank for you us. thank you so much this was lovely that's all for this episode of dare to be seen join the conversation on dare to be seen community.com and help us create an empowering community of independent female singer songwriters composers and musicians who support one another for show notes resources and information on today's episode, visit daretobeseenpodcast.com. And remember, shine your own unique light onto the world. It needs it.